Hello everyone, and welcome to the Slightly Scientific Podcast, the only podcast I can find on the internet that is run entirely by 14 to 15 year olds from Ibstock Play School. I'm Oliver, and sitting next to me is Honor. Today we have an extra special treat just for you. That is right, we have for you part one of a two-part mega episode on the theme of neurodegenerative diseases. Today we have for you an amazing interview with the amazing Mark Webb, who will be explaining what it is like living with multiple sclerosis. And in part two, we have Dr. Jameen Sweet-Haran, who will be talking to us through the scientific aspects of motor neuron disease. So stay with us as we transport you across the diverse world of science straight into our Zoom call. Enjoy. Oh, there we go. We can hear you now. Oh, yeah, yeah. The... We can hear you. We can hear you now. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, yeah, yes, we can. Yeah. Brilliant. But before we go on to the interview... Here is Rai explaining who Mark Webb is, why we decided to interview him, and why he is such an incredible person. Mark Webb was a fellow colleague of my dad, both who have worked in communications at a company called Curry's. Mark has a lot of outstanding qualities, including being a caring father, an inspirational public speaker, a talented part-time wheelchair basketball player, and while occasionally exploring a number of different hairstyles. He currently works as head of communications at a company called Shift MS which is a web-based charity and social network for people affected by multiple sclerosis. This focuses on the needs of younger people and those recently diagnosed with MS. I've chosen to interview Mark, not only because of the connection with my father, but once the conversation gets going with him, he is the bubbliest, most thoughtful intellectual I have met. The thing that I respect most about Mark is how he maintains a positive mindset continuously, even through tackling some rough patches in his life. His positive thinking doesn't ever leave him. In his words, my diagnosis with MS doesn't mean giving up on my ambitions, just rethinking how to achieve them. Currently, he's working with MS because he wants to spread more disability awareness. And with his hard work, I trust he'll be successful. We introduced ourselves and had a good conversation, but with Zoom's impending time limit coming up thick and fast, and with so many questions to ask, we realized we had no choice but to restart the Zoom meeting. However, before that happened, I had a very important question to ask. I've got a question. Go, yeah. What What was it like um, being part of the Disney, um, the Disneyland Paris opening? Um... Oh, it was a dream. Um, you won't remember. We'll keep it quick because of Raya's time limits. No, no, no. Um, um, it was absolutely amazing because, uh, or one, it was, I, I talk about it like being a student, like being a student but with a bit of money because I had a salary um, so that was amazing and there were 12,000 young people recruited you know in an instant almost to work together all from all over Europe so it was a hotbed of hormones and stuff so all that kind of fun stuff and then the dream of opening this amazing place which didn't go very well at the beginning you know it didn't have enough attractions the financing had all gone wrong we upset the French because the French didn't like the fact that there was no wine in the restaurants and the French upset people who expected the American treatment. Oh, there was so much to sort out. But Blumenek, it was just a dream. It, you, you felt like you were changing the world. And of course you weren't. You were doing fireworks and roller coasters. And with my urgent question answered, it was finally time to start asking our questions. So when did you first know that you were affected by multiple sclerosis? Well, that's a very difficult question because um, MS, multiple sclerosis, is a really complex disease and it kind of creeps up on you. 
Um, it, you probably know it's a disease of the central nervous system. So your, that means your brain and your spine are affected and your central nervous system then feeds off to everywhere in your body. And so what nerves are affected during the sort of autoimmune attack that goes on kind of decide what's going, decide what's going on. And it, um, it comes and goes in early, in, uh, particularly in the early stages. So I had three days of intense pins and needles in 1992, the year Disney opened. And um, I was a bloke in my mid-20s, so I ignored it. Um, I then had some bladder issues when I lived in France, where in the 90s you could pee anywhere. So I ignored that. Um, so I, I knew something was going on, but I didn't put the things together until 15 years later when I had various other symptoms, particularly um, a thing called drop foot. My left foot wasn't functioning very well. And you could call it um, um, walking drunk, essentially. I didn't look quite right when I was walking, plus the other bits and bobs that were going on, a bit of fatigue and, and cog fog, thinking problems. Um, so I'm afraid uh, from 1992, first symptoms, didn't have a clue, diagnosed 2007. And when, Rhea, you say, when did you first know? I didn't understand what it was when it was diagnosed. What effects has multiple I cannot say this word for the life of me has multiple sclerosis had on your daily life um don't worry about not being able to pronounce it, it, it it's funny because I am um, I uh, having been interested in you know wanting to campaign about MS and then about disability and then diversity there's and with MS affecting my speech when on a bad day or particularly when I'm tired um there's words I can't say, so I mess up multiple sclerosis sometimes. It affects pretty much every aspect of my life because my MS is very um, advanced now. Um, so if you think back 1992, I'm approaching my 30th anniversary without realizing it at the, uh, the time. Um, and 15 odd years since I was diagnosed, um, the uh, research into slowing down progress, the, 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 a cure is a long, long way off. Um, but the research into slowing down progress has um, really uh, improved even in my um, sort of 15 year MS diagnosis lifetime. So when I was diagnosed, um, the drug I was taking would slow it down by about 33%. And we're now up to about 80% slow down. So um, MS is diagnosed between the ages of 20 and 40 on average. So uh, you guys have got roughly a one in 600 chance of um, being, being diagnosed with MS. And one of the neurologists I talk to uh, regularly, he's in America, he, he has this project. He doesn't talk about curing MS anymore. He talks about make MS boring. And by he mean, that he means, oh, you've got MS. Well, have these drugs in probably won't affect your life. And I'm hoping that for your generation, that'll be the case. It won't be a nice um, diagnosis to hear, but um, we should get there quite soon. Um, for me, it affects everything. So I, I'm talking to you in a wheelchair. Um, you're, I'm glad you're gonna be, I'm only gonna be on sound because this is a bag that leads directly from my tummy, that's my bladder. Well, a bag of wee, very classy. It's called a suprapubic catheter because your water works and 
everything down there is affected. Um, so um, I'm totally dependent on people in the sense of I can't carry a cup of tea because I've got a wheelchair and I'm, I'm shaky anyway. I've got, I've got one decent arm, one rubbish one and two legs that are shot. At the moment, I can um, independently do all the intimate stuff and shower myself and dress myself except the buttons. Down the line, those things will impact me as well. But um, everything. So I, yeah, I, I have a, I have a carer. Um, I, I take an enormous uh, number of drugs, um, but I still have a good life. It's just different. I guess yeah. that's what's important. Just like enjoying your life, no matter what um, comes your way. Really. Yes, I. I you know, you. Uh, some people out there must have the perfect life that they um, they go to school. I, I had the perfect life in kind of what you expect at school. So I was one of those annoying ones. So I, I was captain of the rugby team at a good school. I breezed through my exams without thinking. I was head boy. I got the girls, blah, 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 blah. You know, it was just one of those annoying gits that, you know, popular, but probably rather smarmy as well um, but then things don't work out so um, when I, 1992 my MS had sneaked up on me um, and carried on sneaking up when I met my wife within a month a few months of a couple of months of moving in with her we'd burnt our flat down in Paris that was cool um, and, and my sister passed away four or five years ago whom I was very close to and so that, so it, those are three horrible things, but you just, the, the human beings are so resilient um, and I, I've just pivoted and the charity I work for have this wonderful um, uh, mantra that I really buy into. I kind of did before I started working for them, but it says um, a diagnosis with MS it's uh, any other disease here a diagnosis with ms doesn't mean giving up on your ambitions it just means um changing your uh, uh, changing your view about how to achieve them so for example i talked about rugby and obviously i don't play that anymore i now play wheelchair rugby very badly but i'm 53 and still playing a contact sport and if you guys think you're going to be playing a contact sport in your 50s you're, you're quite unlikely to so Thanks to MS, I'm playing a contact sport. It's bizarre. How does wheelchair rugby work? Well, you, it's like dodgems, really. So um, you you you, um, you can't use your usual um, wheelchair. Um, it, it's um, a very protected metallic thing um, with sloped out wheels um, that really take the hits. So it looks incredibly dramatic and, and it's noisy and shouty and um, a bit bonkers. Um, but uh, of course, you've got very varying degrees of disability. Uh, and I'm up against wheelchair rugby is very much well, it was initiative for those with lower limb issues predominantly. So I'm often up against people mm -hmm. with spinal injuries, maybe a car crash or, you know, uh, one of those awful swimming pool incidents or whatever or people injured in, in the war, so they lost a limb or whatever. And then there's little old me with a progressive disease tootling around slowly. 
but the, the the way the sport is designed is there's there's wheelchairs for the fast dudes. They look a little bit like Dalek wheelchairs. They're quite round, and they whiz past. And I've got a bit of a longer wheelchair. I'm looking at it now, and I'm going to play tomorrow. And I'm there to get in the way of fast dudes. It's, oh, I love it. It's pretty amazing how, like, you're in a wheelchair, but you're still doing, like, your sports. You're, like, doing your contact yeah, sports. And I just yeah. think that is just so um, amazing, well, finding a way to enjoy what you like yeah, doing. It's, I, I have two wonderful children. Um, it's I, I've got a wonderful wife who's stuck by me. Not everybody does when you're diagnosed, including some friends. Uh, that That's life. But um, I was up, um, oh gosh, in a microlight a couple of weeks ago. Um, I've skydived three times. I've just committed today. Uh, Ray has probably seen the post on doing another blooming tough mudder, which is mad yeah. because I'm just, I'm literally a sack of potatoes because I can't, I've got one arm. So what use is that in a tough mudder? But a team gets me around it and they all feel rewarded. And I feel a sense of achievement because I've, overcome the fear of putting my trust in about 15 people chucking me over stuff. Um, so you just find different ways of running your life. I think we have to remember we're blessed. You know, you got, I'm looking at, that. there's a female on this podcast and there's one country we know that suddenly stopped females getting education. Um, and much as though we're all in a slightly angry world um, in, um, in the UK, we are still a very prosperous country. Um, you know, COVID has hit us hard and we're one of the hardest hit countries, but, um, you know, we, we're getting through it where the countries are, are, are suffering. So we're in a prosperous country and, and you know, we're, we're privileged and, and we need to remember it. What would you say is the biggest struggle with people with multiple sclerosis? Should we just refer uh, to it as MS from now, like just to stop yeah. us tripping over like the word? Yeah. As long as, yes, I'll say multiple sclerosis a couple of times because MS to a lot of people means Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or indeed, uh, our old, my wife has just reminded me, my, um, our older son said I had MS for a long time. Oh. Which is a rather nicer disease to have, I think. Um, so um, it's, that's a almost impossible answer to give because every single it's called the snowflake disease um for the reason that so many different nerves run through your body and so many different symptoms can emerge and they can all emerge at different speeds and different tones and whatever that no one ms -er is the same um but if i had to say uh, well if you had to say a vote i would suspect most people would say fatigue um, you know, there's a, there's another disease you may be aware of that's called ME, where it's, you're just constantly tired and, and people are sort of telling you you're lazy, but actually it's a genuine disease. And, and long COVID, some people with long COVID are seeing that. So the fatigue, just getting up on what I call getting up on 20% battery and then going downhill from there um, during the day, that's really hard. But actually looking at it from an outside view and knowing a lot of people with MS, um, you're, literally your brain, you know, there's nerves running through all that. And so your thinking and, and um, your concentration span and your short-term memory um, can all be affected and that they are in my case. And your mood could be affected. 
So I wonder if really what's toughest is the anxiety and uh, the potential depression. 50% um, of people with MS uh, will be clinically di diagnosed with clinical depression at some point. And there are more suicides with MS um, than with cancer, for example, and bizarrely with, than with motor neurone disease, which is the one that really does, if you're diagnosed, you've probably got three or four years to live um, from the day of diagnosis. Um, if you follow rugby, Doddy Weir from slightly older my generation is going through it now. There's a rugby league player who, who's got that. And Stephen Hawking um, had that. And he was one of the tiny group of people who survived past three or four years. But we have higher suicide rates than those disease. It's weird. But I think that's because our brain is affected. I'm fine. You can hear me smiling and you guys on the podcast can see me smiling. Um, but a lot of people are affected by that anxiety and, and mood swings. And what would you say to those people who are affected um, by that anxiety and mood swings? Yeah, that, that's really hard. I, I, I think there are so many... It, it, MS is a disease that really takes its own path to an extent. So there are these medications we can take to slow down progress. There are medications to take to deal with the individual symptoms including mood swings and depressions and depression and anxiety. But I take, I take drugs for fatigue, for spasms, for nerve pain, to keep me moving, so to speak, in the number two sense. Um, I drink enormous vats of water to keep flowing through my, my strange bladder system. So I, I, I can do things there. But I think uh, I, if I could get hold of uh, somebody who's diagnosed with MS early, I would tell them to find some like-minded people, other people to talk to. I would get them eating healthily, not forever. I still eat cake and I drink tequila from time to time, but I, I generally eat very healthily. I exercise the bits of me that still work and actually try and exercise the bits of me that don't work. And there's all these words coming in like mindfulness and, and uh, yoga and good sleep patterns. And, uh, you know, these are good pieces of advice for anybody, really, aren't they? Eat, you know, eat cake, but then eat healthy the rest of the time. It's very similar advice. But, of course, you know, with, with, a, with MS or any other serious illness or disability, there's times we need to kind of step outside ourselves and, and almost ask ourselves, are you really okay? Do you need to do see the doctor um, about you know, some medication, get some counselling, go on a holiday, take a week off, whatever? So it's it it. Yeah. I I try and be very third person about myself and and look at myself and ask myself, Mark, how you doing? And if I'm not doing all right, I do something about it. You guys are going to have very different anxieties because of what my generation and prior generations have done to this planet. I have some faith actually that technology might help. And that's not me falling back on saying, well, I'll keep burning um, fossil fuel. Um, but I do, I'm kind of, you know, I love what Greta does. Um, and I, I, I really, I have faith that the world will sometimes see sense that won't stop you guys feeling very anxious about it in the meantime <laughs> um so you know we're all gonna have our worries and you guys are are too and and 
Um, there'll be some brilliant stuff technologically that will help. And in, in illness terms, there'll be so many treatments that come. I'm going to be so, quiet now. Yeah, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> Do you think um, enough awareness has been raised about, about um, MS? Sorry, I'm, I'm just shaking my head thinking, oh dear, that doesn't translate very well to a podcast. Um, no, there, there isn't, but it's, you know, it's, it's we, we have to raise it. Um, I, I mentioned, I think, before we started recording how passionate I am about diversity and all disability and all illness and all suffering. So um, I am going to keep raising awareness of MS. So are many others. There's um, three or four fantastic charities. I'll, I'll name the one I work with called Shift.ms, which is actually a social network. And social network comes in for a bad rap um, for lots of good reasons. But actually, this one is specifically for people with MS. And it's a wonderful way for us to get together and say, hey, I've got this strange tingling in my right toe. Anybody got this? And invariably, somebody else says, oh, yeah, do this. Don't do this. Oh, yeah, this medication, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it's a wonderful social network and producer of amazing videos to help inform both people with MS and people who are impacted by MS because they know people or just want to know all about MS. So it's a wonderful charity. There's another one, the huge one, the kind of traditional big one, the MS Society. There's the MS Trust, which funds um, specialist nurses all over the country. Um, uh, to support the neurologists who only have, let's say, 15 minutes, half an hour to see you every six months to, um, to a year, depending on how ill you are or how, how quickly your MS is advancing. So there's loads of support, loads of awareness. But no, you know, like I said um, early on, when I was diagnosed, I didn't have a clue what I had and therefore went home and um, consulted Dr. Google and decided you know, self-diagnosed, I had about 10 minutes to live. So, um, no, there's there's lots of uh, more work to be done, but at the same time, it's one of many illnesses. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, it definitely helps when you have a community kind of sticking by you and saying, oh, we're in this together, you know, you have this, oh, I have this as well. How can we, you know, help each other get through it? Yeah, there was, um, there was a brilliant um, post on, on uh, Shift.ms um, very early on in COVID. And we were all being told to stay indoors and, you know, self-distance, face-based, whatever. Well, I can't remember the first phrases that, that they came out with. Um, but one of the, one of the guys on um, Shift.ms, um, he, he, I think it was a he, he put, um, we got this. And um, there, was some, there was some great truth in that. In, and uh, because we are used to a little bit of isolation. We're used to not being able to access things. We're used to being in bed. We're used to talking on the phone to people because we can't go places. And, you know, it, it, it then progressed and it was awful being in one of those vulnerable categories during COVID um, and waiting for news of, um, of vaccinations and whatever. But there is a, yeah, we got this and supporting each other, Raya. Yeah, absolutely. Finley, you're on mute. Finley. Sorry, yeah, I was unmuted. Oh, uh, Finley, do you think there's anything Finley. we can do? And before you ask, yes, I definitely did leave this vision on purpose. Do you think there's anything we can do to help people with MS or to raise awareness? 
I think the biggest one, well, thank you for talking to me in the first instance. So uh, this for a start, um, but I can tell you right now that when somebody is diagnosed with MS, um, there's, a, have you heard of the five stages of grief? Uh, yeah. So, so I, I think it's been, it's, it, I think it's been scientifically disproved as a real fact, but basically there are stages you go through in uh, when, you know, you lose a pet, you lose a sibling, you lose a family member, you lose a friend, your football team get relegated, your car messes up, whatever you, you go in you, or you're diagnosed with a, a horrible progressive illness you go into stages of grief and I can't even remember what five they are, but you know, there is, there's denial of one of them and anger. I never really had the anger stage, so I don't have that. But I think anybody with MS, the worst thing you can do is uh, not talk to them. And that happens. There's a small amount of people and I pity them rather than pity myself who will never talk to you again because they're repulsed by you. And there's some kind of prehistoric fear that they have about you. Um, and I, yeah, well, fine. They're, they're lost, really. There's a lot more people who are scared of saying the wrong thing, so they say nothing. And, you, and they drift away. And that's, you know, I can't change the world of those, that, that small minority of gits who, who decide that, you know, because you don't dance on the table anymore, you're not worth their time. Well, that's their problem and they can go off and be Donald Trump, that's fine. Um, but um, the, the people I would love to change is don't be scared of saying the wrong thing. Talk to us and we will tell you if we want to talk about our MS today or we don't. Uh, we will tell you if you said something wrong. For example, you know, there's a classic that, that always is, is used in the media, even if they're not guided to. Um, they say I'm wheelchair bound. I'm not wheelchair bound. It gets me around. Are you guys leg bound? Um, so uh, I, um, you know, I'm a wheelchair user. That's just a very small example. Um, and um, classically, again, in the media to sort of make it more dramatic, I'm called an MS sufferer. Well, I do suffer, but I'm also a dad and a husband and a wheelchair rugby player and a podcaster and a public speaker and a charity worker, and um, and the next James Bond, and everything else. So why call me MS sufferer in the in the title? Winds me up. But anyway, so um, what you could do, should you have anybody you meet with MS or any other nastiness going on, you know, that, let's say for example, if they lose a parent, it's so easy to just be scared of talking to them. It, it's it's the it's the going through the courage of just doing it, and I'll, I'll give you one example I'm really proud of with myself. Um, when um, I have bladder infections, they can be really bad, and I'm blue lighted to hospital with all the paramedics whispering sepsis, sepsis to each other, um, which is fine. And then I get there and I get uh, they put me straight on morphine because I'm in a lot of pain. Oh, I love morphine, my word. I can see why it's addictive. Um, and I was in a ward with, um, when I'd come out of the sort of, the, it wasn't intensive care, but just below high high priority or whatever. Um, I was in a ward with three other men 
and all three of them uh, were going through cancer diagnoses and cancer treatment. And um, the man opposite me, he was a East London with a very loud Cockney accent, um, and uh, the curtains were drawn around him. And with me in hearing distance, he was told he had pancreatic cancer, which is one of the really more, more unpleasant cancers. He was told he uh, nothing more could be done and that he had a few weeks to live. And that was with just a curtain around him five meters from me. Now, what I could and he was howling and he was effing and blinding, you know, who wouldn't? Um, and um, and we were we'd made a good friendship over those, that sort of intense 48 hours. What I could have done because he was waiting then half an hour for his wife to come in. What I could have done because I was knackered and I was suffering with MS. Um, sorry, with a bladder infection because of my MS. I could have pretended to be asleep. And I nearly did. And I sort of bit the bullet and thought, no, sod it. I have to talk to him. I have to let him let it out. Uh, and I'm really proud. I, you know, it wasn't a pleasant half hour while we waited for his wife to come in. But I did the right thing. And, and that's those are the people I would love to have a bit more courage. They're not nasty. They're just a bit scared of doing or saying the wrong thing. Yeah, of course. Because I mean, I guess if you never say anything, you don't know what's wrong or right. And of course, if if you see people on, on TV, not, not um, or on media, anything, not kind of not communicating about this, you're not going to be able to be educated about that in the long term. So but that's right. You, so you're not going to learn for the next time, and um, neither are you going to help them. And they're going to feel more and more isolated. And and we can go back to the depression and the isolation angles and um, that will happen because they're stuck in a corner um, feeling sorry for themselves when they're still the same person as they were the day before diagnosis. So I think if you just plow in and, and say, look, I, you're the first person I've met with X. Um, do you mind if, is there anything I can do? Uh, do you want to talk about it? Sorry, how do you like to be referred to blah, 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 you know, I can't, I can't script a conversation I don't know you'll have, but just that openness to chat and that willingness to learn and that admission that you don't know everything. There are 80 autoimmune diseases alone among all the other disabilities and illnesses. So for me to know how to refer to what people are going through, I, you know, I, I'd call myself an expert patient I know lots of the correct language because I campaign in that, but I still don't know everything and I'm very open about it. You guys will face disability personally or know people because ultimately one in five people are disabled in some way. You know, that could be uh, sight, hearing, walking sticks, MS, accidents. It's all out there coming your way. But there'll yeah, be things yeah. to help you deal with it. Yeah. And if you can be a nicer person with those who you meet who are dealing with it, that's brilliant. If you are confronted with, your, with it yourselves, um, you live in a generation where the world might fall apart, but most things will be cured. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. quite, that's kind of my take on it at the moment. And, and no, there's, there's going to be so many advances coming your way. It'll be amazing.
Well, yeah, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. And of course, it's been I mean, amazing. Thank you yeah, so much. This journey's all out there, and we can't really stop stop it. We just have to learn to accept that they're still people. We still have, you know, it's our feelings, and we still have to be educated about them, and you know, learn more so that we can make a difference. Yes, and thank you very much for. Yeah, thank you. Um, and you know, we 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 just. We just we're human beings, <laughs> um, just just slightly different, and and so I'm normal, but just a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're in somewhere, yeah. Uh, well, well, exactly. Well, anyway, well, thank you so much for your time, guys. Thank, uh, thank you. you. It's, it's been so interesting, um, you know, to learn so much more about MS and you know um, your experiences with living with it. Thank okay, you very much. And cheers, guys. Thank you have so a good much. Day. Thank you. Bye. 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 So there you have it. That's our 36-minute interview with Mark Webb, compressed down into 30 minutes of pure inspiration and his no-nonsense attitude to MS stopping him from getting on with his life. So thank you, Mark Webb, for letting us interview you. It was a fantastic opportunity to learn more about MS and what we can do to help. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Slightly Scientific Podcast. I could have not done it without the entire team's hard work. Special shout-outs to Honor and her research team, including Emma, Charlotte, Matthew, and Tara for organising the interview with Mark Webb, and to Finley for making me laugh whilst editing because he forgot to unmute himself. Last but not least to Miss Taylor, whom without her continuous support, we would have never come this far as a podcast. You can reach us at The Slightly Sci on Twitter. Part 2 will be coming soon. Have a good day.